Welcome to In Conversation. I'm your host, Brett Rogers. This week on In, which you can find on Instagram at thisisin underscore underscore, we're looking at the phenomenon of social justice warriors, or SJWs. Defined on Wikipedia as a pejorative term for an individual who promotes socially progressive views, including feminism, civil rights, and multiculturalism, as well as identity politics. It then goes on to say, the accusation that somebody is an SJW carries implications that they are pursuing personal validation rather than any deep-seated conviction and engaging in disingenuous arguments. So not all people tagged with or using the term consider it as an insult, rather viewing themselves and their compatriots with pride as a collective dedicated to standing up for those who either can't or are unable to stand up for themselves. Our focus is primarily on online SJWs, as in real life activists are an entirely different branch of the same ideologies. In the conversation today, I'm speaking to Jason Stewart, CEO of Have You Heard, and Julie Eccles, someone who has been described by some as the queen of the SJWs. Considering the collective nature of SJWs, I'd be surprised if Julie liked being tagged as such. As for me, I am what I would call a reformed SJW. I still hold similar views, but no longer engage in the online actions of an SJW. Also in this week, we get three differing views. We spoke to a current SJW, a former SJW, and a person who really, really dislikes them. We'll also show you a timeline outlining SJW work in action. But first, let's hear from Julie and Jason. Thanks for having us. Thank you, Brad. Um, all right, guys. So we've seen social justice action uh, globally with things like Arab Spring, Black Lives Matter, Men Are Trash, Me Too. And now perhaps we're going to see the environment getting its share of action with those who are supporting Greta Thunberg, um, and well, as well as a few other people in the industry. So I wanted to speak with you, Julie, on what... How do you feel about the term social justice warrior and what does it mean to you? Well, it's, you know, after that intro, um, it's a lot of food for thought. Um, I personally embrace the term SJW. Um, To me, being a social justice warrior is um, a compliment. So whenever we, you know, get smeared or tarred or people try and say, um, you're this or that, you're a snowflake, etc. cetera. Um, I, I, I simply reject that and I say, I am a social justice warrior because, uh, because I actually care and you've tried to smear me with that term and I reject that, I reject that entirely and I, I don't take it as a pejorative. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's very interesting that, it's, that it came across like that. Uh, across like that. Um, uh, reading the the description, uh, what goes on further to describe is that it was actually coined in uh, 1834 and was a neutral term. Um, and it's only in the last five, ten years that it's been twisted into a pejorative. Um, so I thought that was quite interesting that it's a very new that is, thing. That is very interesting, yeah. So, so Julie, what causes do you focus on? Um, for me, um, primarily race, uh, inequality, um, I also am passionate about feminism and uh, uh, any kind of gender-based uh, injustices. So um, the LGBTQI plus community, um, that's also very dear to me. But primarily for me, uh, it's race in South Africa and racial inequality. So when you're, um, when you're thinking about which platform to use, to use you um, do Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. Is that right? Correct. Yes. So, is there a different if, is there a different way of approaching uh, activism online on those different spaces? Um, and if so, how? They are quite different. Um, a lot of people say that um, you know Facebook is dying. I wouldn't say that, uh, but I would say that Facebook is uh, becoming more and more for older users. Uh, Instagram is becoming much more popular, especially with younger people. And there's definitely different ways of engaging in each of those spaces and different things that they bring out in a person. So, you know, uh, obviously Twitter, there's rules. You can only use so many characters. And that means that most of the conversations end up being incredibly punchy, one-liners. It's a bit of a street fight of, of social media, you know. It's not like Facebook where you can go into detail and have nuance and explain what you mean by a concept. You know, Twitter is like you can very easily be taken out of context. You have to really choose your words carefully. So obviously they all have very different sort of uh, things that they bring out in different people and different personalities. And obviously Instagram is a a much more positive space because people tend to share 
kind of uh, visual um, stimuli, whether it's now a picture of a sunset, which is completely innocuous, or if it's like a, you know, a, a thought-provoking image or a meme. So they all are very different, and I'm sure you find the same uh, as you as you as you engage on these platforms. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, it's an interesting uh, how the dynamics change between them all. Um, coming to you, Jason, uh, what is your understanding of social justice warriors um, in the world and locally? So, so I would say I've been exposed maybe in the last five or ten years since the, the term has been um, smudgened. Um, and um, I think it's been smudgened is my made-up word. Um, <laughs> because of the, the more the radical liberal, liberalism um, and militancy um, that has been um, seen, um, mainly predominantly kind of in the States and on social media. Um, and I think a lot of that is kind of needed. Um, and I kind of use it, would, would use the analogy of um, what social justice warriors are trying to do is the same amount of effort is needed to push a, a, a steam train um, that hasn't been, that has been immovable. Um, and they've built up momentum and eventually that kind of barrier has been smashed, but they're still pushing as hard um, in, in a way. And it's kind of um, what I'm trying to say with that is the, the pendulum always kinds of, um, kind of um, swings. Um, and the, the force that has been re required keeps on kind of the, the ante keeps on being increased um, rather than sometimes being balanced out. And, and I'm not saying that um, the issues that, that are being fought for um, have been resolved, but I think the, the effort or the impact of the negative association with social justice warriors is when it goes too far. Um, I think that social justice warriors are probably one of the most exciting things happening in society today because it is so needed. We are trying to correct and balance out a lot of the wrongs. Um, unfortunately, I think a lot of the wrongs are very institu institutionalized um, and built in by political systems and corporate co corporations. Um, I'm, I think I'm sounding like a conspiracy theorist here, but... <laughs> Um, there's, a, there's a lot of beauty and a lot of goodness that we can create in the world. Um, there's an, uh, there is enough resource and there's enough um, um, money and there's enough will, um, but there are incredible blockages um, and, and, and fewer people that have what they perceive to, 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 to be able to lose. So I think social justice wars is incredibly important. It's exciting that, that this is happening and that there's a, mo there's a movement. Um, my only kind of pullback is, is that I think that conversations can solve a lot of things and your more extreme, radicalized social justice warriors do not allow for a conversation. How, how does that strike you, Julie? Yeah, I mean, I think the funny thing is that we probably all agree. Um, and uh, the, thing, the thing that we're really kind of putting on the table right now seems to be um, probably more semantic than anything else. Because um, most of what you said there, I agree with. And it sounds to me like you also agree with the fundamental idea that we need social justice, right? And I think perhaps where we can all, uh, you know, take this conversation is uh, to cancel culture. Because I think SJWs is, is very much associated with cancel culture. And that is something that I'm not in favor of. You know what I mean? So there's all these shades of things that need to be solved and um, ways in which people are talking about it, and that's wonderful. But I think somewhere you draw a line and you say, you know, far, uh, what did you say, far liberalism or extreme Radical liberalism. liberals, yeah. Radical liberalism. Yeah. And, you know, I, I'm not sure that we all agree on the, on the terminology, but I do understand what, you, what you're talking about when it comes to people who are like, if you use a word the wrong way you're cancelled if you um if you you know have this point of view we can't talk to you um we need to have be having conversations especially with people that we disagree with right and it's only when when you encounter a troll or someone who's lying and pretending to be something they're not that is when you can probably to say i'm cancelling this person it's pointless in engaging with them but when it comes to your average person all of us are problematic. Every single one of us has some kind of bias or, or problem that we need to work on. And if we're not friendly and welcoming and inviting to people to say, um, hey, I hear you, 
but like, what about, have you thought about it this way? Have you thought about it this way? Then we're not going to make any change. We're not going to change any minds. We're not going to achieve anything, right? Uh, absolutely. I, w- I would agree with that, uh, that utterly. And actually on that topic, I wanted to find out from you whether, um, have you seen the way that you engage online personally uh, change uh, since you first started uh, activism until now? The way that I engage others? Yeah, well, the way you engage activism online. Have you seen that uh, for yourself change uh, over time? You know, when you, you know when you see those memories pop up on Facebook that's like, this is something you said in 2015. <laughs> and then you read it and you're like, oh my word. Like, what was I thinking? What was I saying? Does that, uh, does that happen to you? <laughs> um, I actually, um, some of the comments I've gotten from people who are former SJWs is that they, they can't handle the emotional labor uh, and negativity that's bordering on bullying uh, that seems to follow their uh, activism. Uh, does that resonate with you? It does to some extent. So, I mean, you know, there, there's an argument to be made for um, when people go hard, on, on someone who they perceive as problematic, you know, and there's an argument to be made, like I just said, for being friendly and inclusive and working through these things patiently, you know. So, I mean, yeah, there are problems with, you know, there's some people who um, perhaps they are not really interested in changing minds or perhaps they're not really interested in um, finding middle ground and working and progressing. And those people, yeah, they'll be incredibly mean They'll uh, say unreasonable things. But I find that those people, perhaps they're very loud, but they're few and far between. Most of the people that I find, that I engage with, um, we become friends. And if I say something ignorant, then they'll point it out. And then I'll say, okay, and then I'll go on a bit of a journey and learn about it. You know, um, things, you know there's, there's so much to learn. And I think this this window or this door of opportunity for us to start having these conversations has been opened by social media, right? Um, and it's only in the last few years that we've started having these very intense conversations. So I feel like the whole world, we, we all have like an infinite amount that we can learn from each other. Um, but yeah, I mean, there have been some mean bullies and some some people who kind of take that uh, agenda of social justice and twist it and turn it into something that, that is for self-gain, right? And I, I get that. Like, I, I'm, not on bo- I'm not on board with that at all. And then there are people who have very, very firmly held beliefs, right, that they don't tolerate, um, like, rape culture or sexism or racism. They don't tolerate it. And those people can, can come across as being unreasonable and there's every kind of shade in between as well so for me what it takes to make change in my own personal opinion we need hardliners and militants we need uh you know anarchists we need liberals we need everyone to kind of um have like we need everyone to progress so for me it's like a a giant circus society has all types you know and, and you've got to have some people that set a bar and other people that uh, aim to get to that bar and other people who help others along all the way down to people who are like, um, maybe they're right wing, but they're thinking or changing or trying, you know? Uh, so, um, yeah, maybe you've got some stories of, of things that you've encountered, bullies that you, that you, that made you, decide to leave the whole SJW term and, and call yourself something else? I mean, that's, that's, an, that's an interesting question, actually. Um, um, I, I, as I mentioned before, I, I'm a former SJW, or, and uh, at the time I was extremely proud of, of being that. And uh, oh, yeah. as far as I'm concerned, my, the values that I carry now are the same values. Um, I, I, I resonate a bit with people saying that they can't, uh, they don't like the emotional labor. Um, and that sounds like a little bit of an out, like, oh, really, your life is so shit because of your emotions. <laughs> Meanwhile, everybody else is being uh, yeah, prejudiced against. So very sorry for you. So a little bit white tears there. Um, but I, I, I battled a little bit with my own attitude. Uh, I think it was my own attitude that um, I looked at how I was engaging with people 
And I decided at the end that I want to win. Like I'm not, I'm not doing this activism uh, to show that I'm cleverer than you or to show you what a bad person you are. I want to win. And mm. I really saw that um, my attitude and my um, grammar was extremely aggressive. And oh, I thought really? that I... Well, it was angry, you know. It was angry yeah. as, as you get. As you get when you see yeah. injustice, you get really upset. And then uh, what happens is people start poking your buttons and then you get angry and, and start shouting. Uh, well, that's True. what happened with me anyway. Um, so I, I didn't like my role uh, in that space. And I didn't think that I was achieving anything. Um, Interesting. Of course, there were other bullies. Yeah. But, but uh, I, w I also thought that I was actually a bully. And um, I didn't like it a whole lot. Oh, wow. <laughs> Okay. Can I comment, comment <laughs> on that? Because uh, something that mm. Julie said as well that I, I wanted to ask about is uh, I agree with everything um, that you said, Julie, about needing your militants and your liberals and your radicals. And then it's kind of, uh, I don't know if you know, the, the, the diffusion of influence graph with your early adopters and your early majority. It's a, it's a marketing term. Um, and so it's kind of the, the you, you, you need um, different people within society to play different roles. And I think what social media has allowed is the explosion for, for social justice to reach critical mass very quickly. But mm. also what we've seen with social media is it creates um, extreme emotion and polarization. And so what it does is that kind of majority that, that should be being shifted is now being pushed on, on to having to take sides. And the complexities of the situations aren't being understood um, and you've just got kind of left and right or, 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 or black and white. Um, yeah. and, and, and I think that's something like, like Brett would say is, is um, somebody's response on social media will be very different if they're having a face-to-face -face conversation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And my, I agree with that. Yeah? I read a thing somewhere that said that um, anger, um, there was a study that was done about what gets shared the most on social media and anger is actually the thing that makes people share something the most. So our outrage when we see an unfair situation um, is actually almost currency for Facebook and other platforms, I think Twitter especially. And when I read that, I thought I actually also had a moment where I thought I've become so angry, you know. And when you're angry like that, even if you're being patient with someone, it's very difficult to make progress. And it's very difficult to live your life and be positive and be productive, right? So, I mean, that actually resonates with me, that idea that we shouldn't, we shouldn't be constantly angry at other people. We've got to look, we've got to really try and solve these problems. Um, and we also got to be kind, you know, in the process. So You're looking at my T-shirt. It says be kind. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, I, yeah. I, on, on that note about people, and um, I, I spend a lot of the time uh, walking and cycling around because I don't have a car. Um, but what that has done for me is um, it's shown me the world a little bit more clearly, I think, like how people actually live on a daily basis where I'm not hidden in my steel box and I don't really engage with the world. So things that... Uh, have occurred to me when I watch people in the street, when I watch people commuting, is that I think, and this is a big change for me, I think that people are actually nice. And that, <laughs> I, I mean, it's, it's, it's a crazy thing to say, but I really, I really do think that. And I think that when we are put together, um, uh, people of differing views, opinions, uh, race, gender, sexuality, um, everything, when we're just put together in a room, we're not mean to each other, generally. We actually want to get along. We want to have a nice time. And somehow, media and social media has divided us more and more and more into, the, into a state where we think that everybody else is evil other than ourselves. Um, it's extremely uh, traumatic, actually, to see how we've, uh, we've bubbled our awareness of what the world is like. Um, and I tend to think that that's why Trump exists, because the left in the US and globally, because we all impacted, didn't believe that the right were there. We didn't believe that they existed and that they were strong and they were ready to fight. And that yeah. they don't hate each other when the left, we hate each other within our, our spaces, which I think is very dangerous. You know, you know I don't want to be too conspiratorial, but I'm going to be anyway. 
But it's always fun. <laughs> Go for it. Historically, left-wing movements have always been um, divided for a number of reasons, right? Um, one of those reasons is because we're trying to create, we should be trying to create broad class solidarity within our movements, right? And that means that we bring everyone on board, no matter if we have slightly different views, for instance, on, I don't know, abortion or, you know, um, or religion or whatever. Um, and that means that we have to, we have this challenge ahead of us of trying to form broad coalitions and broad solidarity. So there's already a kind of inbuilt difficulty there, right? Because it's, um, if you look at it through that lens, you look, you're talking about um, everyone who is not the hegemony in society. So everyone who is not a rich white man business owner, you know what I mean? And on the other hand, the hegemony in society wants the left to be divided. They want us to be fighting amongst ourselves because that way no real and, and um, no real and radical change can take place. You know, if you put yourself in the shoes of a person who is making money off the current system, they don't want anything to change. And, and, and the thing that they fear most is a popular uprising. So, you know, we have these challenges ahead of us, but um, yeah, there's subtle ways in which the establishment media, if I can call it that, or privately owned and privately paid for media tries to divide us and tries to uh, point out these differences. And then on top of that, it's profitable for the social media um, giants. And, you know, so we, we kind of got all these obstacles in front of us. And yet somehow I feel like the last while we have made progress. We have kind of like taken down some of the walls that, that, that there are between, like, people, you know, who, who want to band together and make real and positive and lasting change in this world. I don't know how you feel. Do you feel like there's been, like, a mind shift as well? Jeez. Um, <laughs> I think on some issues there has. Um, uh, some issues there's definitely um, been huge um, leaps and advancements in, in how we deal with people and how we view issues. In other issues, I think we've gone backwards. Um, and... Um, yeah. Can, can I give yeah. you examples? So, yeah. So I think around um, LGBT, um, Me Too, um, globally, um, obviously that's changed drastically. Um, there's huge acceptance and normality and uh, around it, um, even in kind of older generations that are kind of uh, more more behind. Um, I think um, r racism has has changed from an institutional perspective in South Africa, but I think it is flaring up and getting worse. Um, mm -hmm. And my view on that, and and uh, we can come um, to to the EFF, which I think is has the perfect um, name and description for what I believe is, is the biggest issue um, in South Africa and globally, which is it all comes down to economics. Um, and, and I agree with the sentiment of being economic freedom fighters, um, even though I disagree with the, the, their approach or, or their policies. But the, the, um, the big issues, and this is where kind of uh, the struggle for social justice war is, is potentially changing the mindset within those in institutions. If, if we sort out the economics within this country, a lot of the issues around race, um, gender-based violence um, change. Um, mm -hmm. As long as we have these massive uh, um, uh, amounts of inequality and poverty, you have all those other issues. Um, and all those other issues are politicized as well. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, do you want to say something, Brett? I was gonna. I was gonna ask you um, where do you see uh, social justice moving? Uh, how do you see it changing? Say in ten years' time, what what is Julie Eccles gonna look like in ten years' time? I have no idea. I mean, yeah, it's very hard for me to think uh, to plan my life or to think ahead, <laughs> even like a like a week. So. What about you, Jason? How do you see social justice in 10 years' time? 
It's, it's a great question um, because it's looking at, I mean, if, if you look at um, the things that are taboo in society and how those things change and, and you can look at comedians to see what they've been joking about 10 years ago to now, you can see how society has changed and you'll still have social justice worries and it'll, it'll probably be more broad-based as well. But the question is looking at what are those issues that we're going to be worried about um, because what we're, we're worried about now, we weren't worried about 20 years ago. Um, and at the moment, um, um, we it, it's looking, I, I guess, at how society is going to change. I think inequality is going to grow. Um, poverty in, in South Africa is unfortunately going to grow unless um, things change. And, and the government um, is talking about um, interventions that they're going to be putting in place in the next few weeks. So we should see things. But... At the moment, you've got, what is it, 10 million actively unemployed South Africans with, with a much bigger base that are more unemployed, um, a lot of youth. Um, and, and my concern for, for South Africa is, is if you have a, a growing large youth that are unemployed, you are going to have a, a, a civil unrest or, or, or a revolution, which is, um, which, yeah. which is I, I think, a reality which is needed. I think South Africa is very different to any other country, though, where... Other countries have had more kind of base levels of equality. We had institutionalized inequality. Um, so our acceptance of it is more normalized. Um, so, so I think, uh, it, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I'm hoping that institutions um, break down, but you need some very strong leadership. Um, mm. The environment is obviously a big one, um, and, and anything evolved um, in, uh, with the economy is another one. So I, I, can I disagree with some of what you're saying and agree with some of that? Please, you can do whatever um, you want. <laughs> so, in my opinion, um, the issues actually don't change as much as we think they do. So the last couple of decades, it's it's uncanny actually. If you if you go back and see what people cared about 20 years ago, um, what for instance, um, black people have been fighting for for actually centuries now. And it's like the more things change, the, the more they stay the same. The, the women's struggles in the 70s, if you go and look at the kind of placards and, and slogans that people were carrying to marches, it's kind of shocking that we're still in a space where so much changes and so much stays the same as well. But the difference, again, is that we're talking about it with each other now. So we're able to have conversations across the country, across the world with people we've never met before, people whose worlds are very different to us. So we've only, I feel like in a privileged space, in a privileged bubble, we've only become aware of it now. So, but then to the point of revolution, I really, really hope you're right. And I'm really rooting for a revolution because um, as, as you pointed out with inequality, the worse, the worse that it gets, um, the more we reach, uh, we get closer to a breaking point. And that's why I'm part of the EFF, because the EFF, this might shock you to hear, is trying to, trying to usher in a peaceful, democratic revolution as opposed to a violent one. And in, in most of their dealings, it is pushing that agenda, pushing the agenda that poor people need to be heard in this country and that um, uh, racial inequality needs to end and we need justice, we need uh, retribution for all the wrongs of the past, including land reform. And yet the media paints the EFF as uh, the troublemakers, you know. No, the EFF is what is going to prevent um, violence, in my opinion. And um, and bring bring about justice. But if they can't do that, then we are going to see, in my opinion, a, a, a eventually um, like a, vi a violent revolution or what, whatever path it takes. We need a revolution. How does a positive one look? On what does a positive one look like to you? A positive revolution. A positive revolution. With all the obstacles that we're facing, uh, but we need wealth redistribution we need you know how they're talking about reparations in the u.s now and it just struck struck me we've got the exact same thing in this country we've got a debt that's owed right for the 
for the wrongs of the past. So somewhere, somehow, we need to pay like a, a material debt to people. And PEE is not good enough. And um, if we get land reform right, we still owe a debt, right? So, um, so can I? So that would be a positive, in in my in my opinion, is if we can if we can really actually all agree as a country that that needs to happen, and put aside the various media outlets that are trying to prevent that at all costs because they're privately owned and privately funded, and yeah, that that in my mind would be a, a positive revolution, a completely different society. So, so if I can comment on that, I think a, a revolution is needed because the we're in a place now where we need to do things drastically differently. And if we do, if sorry, if we don't, uh, things are just going to get get worse. Um, yeah. And we there are incredible solutions that are are out there and incredible things that we can do, um, but the right ideas aren't being used. Being used and action isn't isn't happening. I think mm. though it. Um, when you say wealth redistribution, we're, we always talk about redistribution and kind of taking from one to give to the other. There's an opportunity for wealth creation and one plus one equals three. And, yeah. and South Africa is, is excluding, we're excluding ourselves from the global markets. Um, there is enormous amount of, of income that we can, we can pull in from, from global markets. Um, not talking about t um, total investment, but if you're looking at um, creating employment, we don't need to create physical retail stores. We've got the internet that can access, um, uh, that can connect millions of, of people to, to income. Um, and yeah. I, th I think what it comes down to is, is goals and incentives. So when we talk about the media being privatized and, and their, the reasons why they do things, the incentives are revenue for themselves and people respond to negative news stories and, and uh -huh. um, hyperbole. So, so that's why they're doing it. If you ask anyone in South Africa, no matter their race or income level, do, do you want a future where every South African is living a good, happy life and is looked after? They'll say yes. Um, mm -hmm. But those aren't the goals that we're talking about. What we're talking about is inflammatory statements um, and taking from one to, to, to give to the other. And, and that's the sentiment that, that, that is coming across. And what we said earlier with everyone being generally good, mm -hmm. almost every South African, almost every person in the world wants their neighbor and um, the person next to them to succeed. Um, but it's, it's, it's about having strong leadership to show how everyone benefits. And, and for your neighbor to succeed doesn't mean that, that you lose out. There is a, the ability to grow. So I'm, I'm going to once again agree with you on some of that stuff and disagree with you on other stuff. So, I mean, I'm glad that this conversation has moved from SJW to now economics because we've got to have both identity politics and economics to have a just society, right? So since we're talking about economics now and inequality, um, with regards to this idea of redistribution versus wealth creation, right, you can actually, you can't have one without the other, in my opinion. So I used to be of the, of the school of thought that we had to create wealth from the ground up, and that is true, right? But in this hyper-capitalist hyper society that we live in, um, and South Africa is hyper-capitalist, we don't see it as such, but it is. Um, more socialist countries include Canada, France, um, many Western European countries, Australia. All of those countries are more socialist than we are. And yet the ANC is tarred and smeared constantly with this idea of like communism. And that is just an absolute fallacy. So I just want to point that out. Why we can't have wealth creation without first having wealth uh, redistribution, right, is because we've got basically centers of power, um, the heights of the economy, uh, the insurance companies, banks, mines, and agriculture are so, the wealth is so concentrated and the ownership is so concentrated in such a tiny number of hands that we now got a situation where we've got uh, millions of people struggling to make ends meet and if they only just had their basic needs met, uh, if you just had um, guaranteed housing, or if you just had, if we could just do better on the healthcare issue already, you know, 
um, then people can actually take control of their lives and then they can actually uh, do better for themselves. Every South African, everyone wants to do better for themselves, wants to send their children to school, wants to have a house over their head, wants to be productive, right? I've never met, uh, like, it's so seldom that you meet a South African who doesn't want to improve their situation. So we need to basically work on that assumption, right? We can't, we can't buy into any other framework. But now, who is doing all the hard work? Who is doing the mining? Who's doing the cleaning? Who's doing, who's running our cities for us, right? Like who is, who is the working class who is producing all this value which gets sucked out of them, right? Gets siphoned out of them for profit. I mean, uh, our teachers, our, 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 our factory workers, the few factories that are left, our, our housekeepers, our, um, our gardeners, our, our miners, all of these people, even up to middle-class uh, white-collar workers, office workers, are producing an enormous amount of value. And at the same time, we have these people at the top, the shareholders of large companies who are not working and receiving the lion's share of that profit. And that is capitalism for you. And without redistributing wealth and saying we are going to tax you at a very high rate and we are going to be doing social programs, whether that takes the form of now um, social grants or whether it's better housing or whether it's investing in infrastructure, these kind of national programs, that's what we need because at the moment you've got a person who lives in a shack somewhere who cannot even afford transport or airtime to begin to um, find a job or get their or get their lives together. And for me, the way that you help a person who is poor is by giving them money or by giving them, um, you know, infrastructure or public transport or all of these things. And right now, I'm sorry, it's every man for himself. It's it's every South African for themselves trying to scrape money together to get transport, trying to scrape money together to get a, a funeral uh, uh, coverage, or trying to get uh, school fees or whatever, food on the table. And you, you take away that burden from people, and suddenly you have a country where our potential can truly be unleashed. So I don't know if I'm making sense, but I promise you right now, we're, in, we're the most unequal country in the world, and most people cannot even begin, cannot even begin to take charge of their lives. So... You, you did make sense, and I agree with that. I, I think the, for us to uh, redistribute wealth and be more socialistic and have grants and funding, the, you need a highly competitive um, um, country. Um, you need to... Yeah, we, we, I, I, I believe... Sorry to interrupt. I believe it's the other way around. In order to be a competitive country, we need to empower people. We need to be more socialist. Do you see what I mean? Like, no, uh, I, no I do, but that doesn't, that doesn't make it... That doesn't make economic sense. If if you're if you're paying out um, billions, you need that money to, to to come in. So you need more people that are earning an income. You need more people that are paying taxes. Um, you okay. need more money flowing in. So, so so I think we're going to disagree on semantics. I agree with you. I, I'll I'll surrender at at that. But I think. Um, the, the the problem in South Africa is so large scale that we need to attack it from so many different elements. We, I mean, um, and I don't know if we're straying out of this, but uh, out of the topic of the talk, but um, even if you talk about inequality, it's inequality of, of education, it's inequality of opportunity. Um, and those are all things that, that we need to fix. And, and currently, um, what's letting us down is, I mean, our education is rated at 138 out of 140 countries. Um, we've got guys that, that you're trying to kind of give opportunities to that don't, don't have the skill set um, or the knowledge base to, to take those on. Well, yeah, obviously, obviously, you know, along with spending more on education, spending more on whatever it is, transport, obviously you need the expertise. You need to bring the expertise as well. But where I think where we disagree is like, you know, that um, South Africa after 94 underwent a massive transition where um, the state started providing for all, well, now 57 million people instead of providing only for a tiny sliver of um, white and middle class and elite people and using not much more resources, um, the ANC's Sorry, guys, my video's gone for a second there. Um, the, the ANC has managed to do actually really quite amazing things that never get any press. So 
in my opinion, like what's needed is actually more investment into public programs. Because if you want, if you want to grow the middle class, if you want to have more tax revenue, if you want to have more business owners, if you, if you, if you want to enrich this country or allow people to enrich themselves, you need more public programs, national programs. Um, so you can't, that's why I think it's like a cart and a horse argument, you know? Like what, like what is it about us that you think is uncompetitive, that you think um, you, wouldn't want to, you wouldn't want to invest in those kind of programs? Is it the corruption or? Are you, are you talking specifically around social programs? Yeah, like what, what, what would you say we so, need to do before we, before we uh, put more money into programs that will help every single South African? I think we need to do that anyway. And I think mm. we're, um, the, uh, corruption obviously is a big issue. Um, and we're trying to claw back, or is it a hundred billion um, rand that we know was was lost? And and they they started the tribunal yesterday, I think, to claw back fifteen billion. Um, I think it's it's the solutions that are being put forward and how to do it. We spend an enormous amount on education in, in South Africa, and we're producing a very uneducated, unskilled, unqualified um, youth uh, uh, as a majority. So it's. It's, it, it, um, we were looking at something the other day that was quite interesting around um, um, startup funding in Africa and the enormous explosion that is happening in companies in, in Africa that are providing solutions that typically your governments would be um, um, providing solutions to. And this crosses over kind of agri-tech, um, education, energy, um, and, and communication and financing. Um, and these companies are providing solutions that that aren't there for for the the public, um, and they're able to make a profit out of it as well, doing it cheaper and better um, and more competitively than what is publicly and, and freely available to a consumer. And th that point is just saying that. Um, there's no reason why South Africa can't have the best education system in the world. We have huge funding, but we have a, a, a shitty plan and a, and a shitty system in place. And I, I don't think that can be argued with because of where we are globally. So, yes, I agree. That I think our social grant system is seen as one of the best in the world and, and the most progressive. The, we, we should be doing it, but we should be doing it a lot better we have mm -hmm. some of the brightest minds in, in the world. Um, South Africans are known globally to be really smart and, and, and tenacious. But what is out there at the moment isn't, isn't effective. Um, and, and I think yeah. part of that is just um, appeasing the populist um, 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 opinion um, just with, with, with making bold <laughs> statements. And, and, and rather than, and rather than, than having effective... Um, um, solutions that may look on the outset maybe not not populist but will be more effective and beneficial long term. Guys, I'm going to yeah. interject there a second. Sorry about that. We have strayed uh, fairly dramatically <laughs> off the topic, uh, although that was very enjoyable. Um, uh, it's it's on and off topic. Um, I wanted to know um, how you feel. So you have your your particular agendas. Um, as far as social justice is concerned, and I, I, in my mind, that's equality for all. Um, I, you know, there's, that's a very broad uh, statement, but it implies economics and gender and et cetera. I want to know whether um, you uh, badging with EFF um, is detrimental to the discourse that you have in the world. Um, you know, the, I, I have no opinion on it, but I'm interested in whether... Uh, people see the the EFF uh, beret and they immediately uh, want to fight um, and will argue your points ahead of time. With me? Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. So. Well, because they uh, uh, the the reason I ask is because they carry a certain weight, whether that's true or not. Um, that um, if you're a EFF mem EFF uh, member or if you're uh, sympathetic to their cause. Um, that you are not going to listen and that you're going to be militant and uh, shout everyone yeah. down. I'm not saying it's correct, but it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's so, a stereotype. I mean, I've for that perception maybe from my father, you know. Um, so he is not happy about the fact that I've joined the EFF. Um, other than that, I mean, no one has really expressed to me any kind of like, how dare you uh, join the EFF. The EFF is, you know... Um, uh, what too militant or too um, 
I don't know, fill in the blank. Um, <laughs> most people I find, you know, um, and especially within the EFF, uh, we're incredibly peaceful, accepting, um, very positive, very optimistic about the future, uh, very inclusive. So, you know, like, um, I guess most people, because of my skin color, would be surprised that I'm in the EFF. But um, I found it really a very, very welcoming space. So, I mean, yeah, I don't think that the EFF, you know, the EFF's biggest beef is with the ANC establishment. And, um, you know, like the, the sort of aging and shortcomings of the, the, of the ANC's leadership is what has kind of given birth to the EFF in a way. So that is actually where the biggest beef of the EFF sits with your sort of like middle class whites, even right wing people who are the most angry and, you know, uh, sort of, I think, threatened by the EFF. Uh, these people is kind of almost seen as irrelevant, the EFF in a way. Um, so I don't know if that answers your question. Yeah, absolutely. But, um, absolutely it does. Yeah. So I think me wearing this beret and being part of this movement is maybe open minds and open conversations. Like the only people who fought with me is like Willem Petzer, people like that who, you know, like there's no hope for them. <laughs> So that's uh, the we actually watched uh, the video with Willem uh, yesterday. Ooh. Oh, really? Did you put yourself through that? Uh, bits of it. So it was an hour and 10 minutes <laughs> of talking. <laughs> um, do you have any questions, Jace? I just wanted to ask um, because you said one of your first issues um, that you deal with is race, and race is obviously a big thing. We've got white privilege. Um, we, we can't ignore the fact that you've got three white people um, having a conversation yeah. um, here. Um, and um, what I have noticed within society um, the last five years, there's definitely been a shift um, where uh, people of color are more, I think, uh, are braver in terms of taking white people on um, and, um, and, and pushing back. And there's obviously me being a white male South African, I've got the trifecta of the, of, of the you're, things that you're are straight as well. And I'm straight. Um, that, that, that are against me. But uh, how do you see that? Because I can pretty much talk about anything to anyone. But as soon as the topic of race come, comes along, it always becomes something that you that you have to watch what you say. Um, and I don't find that there's a safe space, no matter the relationship that you have with somebody, to to explore and discuss and to try and, and understand. Um, some of my biggest revelations in the last year have been um, after many uncomfortable conversations, but with somebody that's willing to go there. Um, but, uh, but, but what I find is, is that the, the general perception is w you should know we're not willing to, 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 um, to, to, to go there with you. Um, what, what, and, and there's obviously a lot of kind of anger and hurt, which I completely agree, and that's a whole different kind of subject. But I think my question to you is, as a white person who is kind of taking this on, what is your response from white people versus black people um, on this issue? Uh, I mean, if you're coming from a place where you're asking questions because you want to learn, you know, then I obviously think that should be embraced, right? But a lot of people come online um, with this kind of privileged attitude where they're like, but what about this and what about this? And then you realize, no, they don't want to be open-minded. They don't want to learn. They don't want to listen. They just want to carry on, carry on having that privilege and having, that, um, having their voice heard in a way and, and not being questioned, you know. So it really depends on your intention. I'm assuming that you're in entering these kind of conversations and having these questions in mind because you want to learn, right? So, I mean, I don't know if you can give me an example of something that you're not clear about or that you don't understand or something that bothers you that you can't that you feel you can't express without it being taken the wrong way. Like I have a friend, for instance, who is a white male who says that people don't understand that some spaces are not welcoming to white males, um, some real life spaces. And I thought, okay, so, you know, I mean, 
I think you'd have to give me an example if you're comfortable doing that. Yeah, it's not so much the examples. I think the um, I think just from a social justice perspective, it's kind of um, we can fight and deal w with a lot, but when it comes to race, it's kind of the the role of the white person is um, is an yes. issue. Yes, so I think the way that I see our role as white people, right, um, is to listen. So that's the first thing. Like we think we know what we know, but we don't. Um, black people and other, and other groups, um, people of color, have never had their voice heard properly before and still, still to this day, don't get taken seriously in many conversations. So if you are in a, in a boardroom, for argument's sake, and, and a person of color or a, a more specifically a black person has something on their mind and um, they're not being listened to, you can use your privilege to say, I would like to hear what this person has to say and people can then maybe stop talking and listen. Or maybe, you know, uh, if you're online, you read what a person has to say as a black person and take them seriously and believe them and believe them about their experience. Just like um, this whole thing of believe women when they say that this and this and this has happened to me. Instead of, instead of taking it personally and saying, but I never did that and I don't, you know, espouse to that. To why, instead of us taking it so personally, that to me is, that, that is the most that we can do. And it's not to say that we shouldn't be part of the conversation. There's certain conversations maybe we shouldn't be part of. Um, and there's certain spaces that we maybe shouldn't be in. But while we, for some reason, have more, um, like, social currency than the person next to us, maybe we can lend some of that social currency to causes that we see as worthwhile. So it's a, it's a dance. I think it's a quite a delicate dance of like, am I going to use my voice or am I not going to use my voice? And where am I going to use my voice and for what? Julie, um, that was a beautiful way to end this podcast, actually, I think. Um, listening to people is a, a, vital, a vital skill that a lot of us um, don't actually engage in. And uh, I think that's an awesome piece of advice. Thank you. Um, where can people listen? Pardon? Are you going to have some more people of color and uh, black voices on your podcast? Um, not on the um, podcast, but throughout the week, uh, there, are other people, there are people of color who I'm speaking with, yes. Okay, fantastic. So. <laughs> where, where can people hear your voice, Julie? <laughs> oh, there, there you go. So that's, that's wonderful, like pl platforming people to, yeah, to have more conversations. Okay, great. Um, yeah, you asked where you can find me. Uh, you can find me as Reckles on Twitter. So W-R-E-C-C-L-E-S. And um, the same on Instagram. If you, if you want to follow me, that's my handle. That's awesome. Thank you very much for joining us. Uh, really appreciate it. Thank you, Jason, as well. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me, Rich.